Sojourn, Chapter 24, Revelations Bruner ambled along the lower slopes of Kelvin's Carn for the better part of the morning. Most of the snow was melted now, with the spring thick in the air, but stubborn pockets still made the trails difficult. Axe in one hand, and shield emblazoned with the foaming mug standard of clan battle hammer in the other, Bruner trudged on, spitting curses at every slick spot, at every boulder obstacle, and at dark elves in general. He rounded the northernmost spur of the mountain, his long pointed nose cherry red from the biting wind, and his breath coming hard. Time for a rest, the dwarf muttered, spotting a stone alcove sheltered by high walls from the relentless wind. Bruner wasn't the only one who noticed the comfortable spot, though. Just before he reached the ten-foot-wide break in the rock wall, a sudden flap of leathery wings brought a huge, insect-like head rising up before him. The dwarf fell back, startled and wary. He recognized the beast as a remoraz, a polar worm, and was not so eager to jump in against it. The remoraz came out of the cubby in pursuit, its snake-like forty-foot-long body rolling out like an ice-blue ribbon behind it, multifaceted bug eyes shining bright white honed in on the dwarf. Short, leathery wings kept the creature's front half reared and ready to strike, while dozens of scrambling legs propelled the remainder of the long torso. Bruner felt the increasing heat as the agitated creature's back began to glow, first to a dull brown, then brightening to red. "'That'll stop the wind for a bit,' the dwarf chuckled, realizing that he would not outrun the beast. He stopped his retreat and waved his axe threateningly. The remoraz came straight in, its formidable maw large enough to swallow the diminutive target whole, snapping down hungrily. Bruner jumped aside and angled his shield and body to keep the maw from snapping off his legs, while slamming his axe right between the monster's horns. The wings beat furiously, lifting the head back up. The remoraz, hardly injured, poised to strike again quickly. But Bruner beat it to the spot. He snatched his bulky axe with his shield hand, drew a long dagger, and dove forward right between the monster's first set of legs. The great head came down in a rush, but Bruner had already slipped under the low belly, the beast's most vulnerable spot. You get me point? Bruner chided, driving the dagger up between the scale ridge. Bruner was too tough and too well-armored to be seriously injured by the worm's thrashing, but then the creature began to roll, meaning to put the glowing hot back on the dwarf. No, you don't, you confused dragonworm birdbug, Bruner howled, scrambling to keep away from the heat. He came to the creature's side and heaved with all his strength, tumbling the off-balance remoraz right over. Snow sputtered and sizzled when the fiery back touched down. Bruner kicked and swatted his way past the thrashing legs to get to the vulnerable underside. The dwarf's mini-notched axe smashed in, opening a wide and deep gash. The remoraz coiled and snapped its long body to and fro, throwing Bruner to the side. The dwarf was up in an instant, but not quickly enough, as the polar worm rolled at him. The searing back caught Bruner on the thigh as he tried to keep away, and the dwarf came out limping, grabbing at his smoking leather leggings. Then they faced off again, both showing considerable more respect for the other. The maw gaped with a quick snap. Bruner's axe took a tooth from it and deflected it aside. The dwarf's wounded leg buckled with the blow, though, and a stumbling Bruner could not get out of the way. A long horn hooked Bruner under the arm and hurled him far to the side. He crashed amid a small field of rocks, recovered, and purposefully banged his head against a large stone to adjust his helmet and knock the dizziness away. The remoraz left a trail of blood, 
but it did not relent. The huge maw opened and the creature hissed, and Bruner promptly chucked a stone down its gullet. Gwenhyver alerted Driz to the trouble down in the northwestern spur. The drow had never seen a polar worm before, but as soon as he spotted the combatants from a ridge high above, he knew that the dwarf was in trouble. Lamenting that he had left his bow back in the cave, Driz drew his scimitars and followed the panther down the mountainside as quickly as the slippery trails would allow. Come on, then! The stubborn dwarf roared at the remoras, and indeed the monster did charge. Bruner braced himself, meaning to get in at least one good shot before becoming worm food. The great head came down at him, but then the remoras, hearing a roar from behind, hesitated and looked away. Fool, move! The dwarf cried in glee, and Bruner slashed with his axe at the monster's lower jaw, splitting it cleanly between two great incisors. The remoras screeched in pain, its leathery wings flapping wildly, trying to get his head out of the wicked dwarf's reach. Bruner hit it again, and then a third time, each blow cutting huge creases in the maw and driving the head down. Think you're to bite at me, eh? The dwarf cried. He lashed out with his shield hand and grabbed at a horn as the Ramorais's head began to rise again. A quick jerk turned the monster's head at a vulnerable angle, and the knotted muscles in Bruner's arms snapped viciously, cleaving the mighty axe into the polar worm's skull. The creature shuddered and thrashed for a long second, then lay still, its back still glowing hotly. A second war from Gwenhyber took the proud dwarf's eyes from his kill. Bruner, injured and tentative, looked up to see Drizzt and the panther fast approaching, the drow with both scimitars drawn. "'Come on, then!' Bruner roared at them both, misunderstanding their charge. He banged his axe against his heavy shield. "'Come on, and feel me blade!' Driz stopped abruptly and called for Gwenhyver to do the same. The panther continued to stalk, though, ears flattened. Be gone, Gwenhyver, Driz commanded. The panther growled indignantly one final time and sprang away. Satisfied that the cat was gone, Bruner snapped his glare back onto Drizd, standing at the other end of the fallen polar worm. Yourself and me, then, the dwarf spat. You got the belly to face me, Axtrow? Or do little girls be more to your liking? The obvious reference to Caterbury brought an angry light to Driz's eyes, and his grasp on his weapons tightened. Bruner swung his axe easily. Come on, he chided derisively. You got the belly to comb and play with a dwarf? Driz wanted to scream out for all the world to hear. He wanted to spring over the dead monster and smash the dwarf, deny the dwarf's words with sheer and brutal force. But he couldn't. Driz couldn't deny my leaky and couldn't betray Mushi. He had to sublimate his rage once again, had to take the insults stoically and with the realization that he and his goddess knew the truth of what lay in his heart. The scimitars spun into their sheaths and Driz walked away, Gwenhyber coming up beside him. Bruner watched the pair go curiously. At first he thought a drow a coward, but then as the excitement of the battle gradually diminished, Bruner came to wonder about the drow's intent. Had he come down to finish off both combatants, as Bruner had first assumed, or had he possibly come down to Bruner's aid? Nah, the dwarf muttered, dismissing the possibility. Not a dark elf. The walk back was long for the limping dwarf, giving Bruner many opportunities to replay the events around the northwestern spur. 
When he finally arrived back at the mines, the sun had long set and Caterbury and several dwarves were gathered, ready to go back out and look for him. You're hurt, one of the dwarves remarked. Caterbury immediately imagined a fight between Drizzt and her father. Polar worm, the dwarf explained casually. Got him good. I got a bit of burn for me effort, though. The other dwarves nodded admiringly at their leader's battle prowess. A polar worm was no easy kill, and Caterbury sighed audibly. I saw the drow, Brunner growled at her, suspecting the source of that sigh. The dwarf remained confused about his meeting with the dark elf, and confused, too, about where Caterbury fit into all of this. Had Caterbury actually met the dark elf, he wondered. I seen him, I did. Brunner continued, now speaking more to the other dwarves. Drow and the biggest and blackest cat me eyes have ever set eyes on. He came down for me, just as I dropped the worm. Drizzt would not, Caterbury interrupted before her father could even get into his customary storytelling role. Drizzt? Brunner asked, and the girl turned away, realizing that her lie was up. Brunner let it go for the moment. He did, I say. The dwarf continued. Came at me with both blades drawn. I chased that one and the cat off. We could hunt him down, offered one of the other dwarves. Run him off the mountain. The other nodded and mumbled their agreement. But Bruner, still struggling with the drow's intent, cut them short. He's got the mountain, Bruner told them. Cassius gave it to him. And we need no trouble with Bryn Shander. As long as the drow stays put and stays out of our way, we'll let him be. But, Brunner continued, eyeing Caterbury directly, you're not to speak to, you're not to go near that one again. But, Caterbury started futilely, never, Brunner roared. I'll have your word now, girl, or by Moradin, I'll have the dark elf's head. Caterbury hesitated, horribly trapped. Tell me, Brunner demanded. You have my word, the girl mumbled, and she fled back to the dark shelter of the cave. Cassius, spokesman of Bryn Shander, sent me your way, the gruff man explained. Says you'd know the drow if any would. Brunner glanced around his formal audience hall to the many other dwarves in attendance, none of them overly impressed by the rude stranger. Brunner dropped his bearded chin into his palm and yawned widely, determined to remain outside this apparent conflict. He might have bluffed the crude man and his smelly dog out of the halls without further bother. But Caterbury, sitting at her father's side, shuffled uneasily. Roddy McGristle did not miss her revealing movement. Cassius says you must have seen the drow, him being so close. Bah! If any of me people have, Brunner replied absently, they've not spoke a bit of it. If your drow's about, he's been no bother. Caterbury looked curiously at her father and breathed easier. No bother? Roddy muttered, a sly look coming into his eye. Never is, that one. Slowly and dramatically, the mountain man peeled back his hood, revealing his scars. Never a bother until you don't expect what you get. Drow give you that? Brunner asked, not overly alarmed or impressed. Fancy scars. Better than most I seen. 
He killed me dog, Roddy growled. Don't look dead to me, Bruner quipped, drawing chuckles from every corner. Me other dog, Roddy snarled, understanding where he stood with this stubborn dwarf. You care not a thing for me, and well, you shouldn't. But it's not for meself that I'm hunting this one, and not for any bounty on his head. You ever heard of Meldabar? Bruner shrugged. North of Sundabar, Roddy explained. Small, peaceable place, farmers all. One family, the Thistledowns, lived on the side of town. Three generations in a single house, as good families will. Bartholomew Thistledown was a good man, I tell you, and his pa for him and his children, four lads and a filly, much like your own, standing tall and straight with a heart of spirit and a love of the world. Bruner suspected where the burly man was leading, and by Caterbury's uncomfortable shifting beside him, he figured that his perceptive daughter knew as well. Good family, Roddy mused, feigning a wispy, distant expression. Nine in the house. The mountain man's visage hardened suddenly, and he glared straight at Bruner. Nine dead in the house, he declared. Hacked by your drow, and one ate up by his devil cat. Caterbury tried to respond, but her words came out as a garbled shriek. Bruner was glad for her confusion, for if she'd spoken clearly, her argument would have given the mountain man more than Bruner wanted him to know. The dwarf laid a hand across his daughter's shoulders, then answered Roddy calmly. You've come to us with a dark tale. You shook me daughter, and I'm not for liking me daughter shook. I beg your forgivings, kindly dwarf, Roddy said with a bow. But you must be told of the dangers on your door. Drow's a bad one, and so's his devil cat. I want no repeating of the Maldabar tragedy. And you'll get none in me holes, Bruner assured him. We're not simple farmers. Take that to heart. Drow won't be bothering us any more than you're bothered us already. Roddy wasn't surprised that Bruner wouldn't help him, but he knew well that the dwarf, or at least the girl, knew more about Driz's whereabouts than they had let on. If not for me, then for Bartholomew Thistledown, I beg you, good dwarf. Tell me if you know where I might find the black demon. Or if you don't know, then give me some soldiers to help me sniff him out. Me dwarves got too much to do with the melt, Bruner explained. Can't be spared chasing another's fiends. Bruner really didn't care one way or another for Roddy's gripe with the drow. But the mountain man's story did confirm the dwarf's beliefs that the dark elf should be avoided, particularly by his daughter. Bruner actually might have helped Roddy and have been done with it more to get them both out of his valley than for any moral reasons, but he couldn't ignore Caterbury's obvious distress. Roddy unsuccessfully tried to hide his anger, looking for some other option. "'Where would you go if you was running, King Bruner?' he asked. "'You know the mountain better any living, so Cassius tells me. Where should I look?' Bruner found that he liked seeing the unpleasant human so distressed. "'Big valley,' he said cryptically. Wide mountain, lots of holes. He sat quiet for a moment, shaking his head. Roddy's facade blew away altogether. Ye'd help the murder and drow? He roared. Ye call yourself a king, but ye'd... Bruner leaped up from his stone throne, and Roddy backed away a cautious step and dropped a hand to Bleeder's handle.
I've got the word of one rogue against another rogue, Bruner growled at him. One's as good, as bad as the other, by my guess. Not by Thistledown's guess, Roddy cried, and his dog, sensing his outrage, bared its teeth and growled menacingly. Bruner looked at the strange yellow beast curiously. It was getting near dinner time, and arguments did so make Bruner hungry. How might a yellow dog fill his belly, he wondered. Have you nothing more to give me? Roddy demanded. I could give you me boot, Bruner growled back. Several well-armed dwarven soldiers moved in close to make certain that the volatile human did not do anything foolish. I'd offer you supper, Bruner continued, but you smell too bad for me table, and you don't seem the type that be taking a bath. Roddy yanked the dog's rope and stormed away, banging his heavy boots and slamming through each door he came upon. At Bruner's nod, Four soldiers followed the mountain man to make certain that he left without any unfortunate incidents. In the formal audience hall, the others laughed and howled about the way the king had handled the human. Caterbury didn't join in on the mirth, Bruner noted, and the dwarf thought he knew why. Roddy's tale, true or not, had instilled some doubts in the girl. So now you have it, Bruner said to her roughly, trying to push her over the edge in the running argument. The drow's a hunted killer. Now you'll take me warnings to heart, girl. Caterbury's lips disappeared in a bitter bite. Driz had not told her much about his life on the surface, but she could not believe that this drow whom she'd come to know would be capable of murder. Neither could Caterbury deny the obvious. Driz was a dark elf, and to her more experienced father, at least, that fact alone gave credence to McGrizzle's tale. You hear me, girl? Bruner growled. You got to get them all together, Caterbury said suddenly. The drow and Cassius and ugly Roddy McGristle? You've got to... Not me problem, Bruner roared, cutting her short. Tears came quickly to Caterbury's soft eyes in the face of her father's sudden rage. All the world seemed to turn over before her. Drizzt was in danger, and more so was the truth about his past. Just as stinging to Caterbury, her father whom she loved and admired for all her remembered life, seemed now to turn a deaf ear to the calls for justice. In that horrible moment, Caterbury did the only thing an 11-year-old girl could do against such odds. She turned from Bruner and fled. Caterbury didn't really know what she meant to accomplish when she found herself running along the lower trails of Kelvin's Carn, breaking her promise to Bruner. Caterbury could not refuse her desire to come, though she had little to offer Drizzt beyond a warning that McGristle was looking for him. She couldn't sort through all the worries, but then she stood before the drow and understood the real reason she'd ventured out. It was not for Drizzt that she had come, though she wanted him safe. It was for her own peace. "'You never speak of the thistledowns of Maldabar,' she said icily in greeting, stealing the drow's smile. The dark expression that crossed Drizzt's face clearly showed his pain. Thinking that Drizzt, by his melancholy, had accepted blame for the tragedy. The wounded girl spun and tried to flee. Driz caught her by the shoulder, though, turned her about, and held her close. He would be a damned thing indeed if this girl, who had accepted him with all of her heart, came to believe the lies. I killed no one, Driz whispered above Caterbury's sobs, except the monsters that slew the thistledowns, on my word. He recounted the tale then, in full, 
even telling of his flight from Dove Falconhand's party. And now I am here, he concluded, wishing to put the experience behind me, though never on my word shall I ever forget it. You weave two tales apart, Catterby replied. Yourself and McGristle's, I mean. McGristle? Drizzt gasped as though his breath had been blasted from his body. Drizzt hadn't seen the burly man in years, and had thought Roddy to be a thing of his distant past. Came in today, Catterbury explained. Big man with a yellow dog. He's hunting you. The confirmation overwhelmed Drizzt. Would he ever escape his past, he wondered. If not, how could he ever hope to find acceptance? McGristle said you killed them, Catterbury continued. Then you have our words alone, Drizzt reasoned, and there is no evidence to prove either tale. The ensuing silence seemed to go on for hours. Never did like that ugly brute, Catterbury sniffed, and she managed her first smile since she'd met McGristle. The affirmation of their friendship struck Drizzt profoundly, but he could not forget the trouble that was now hovering all about him. He would have to fight Roddy, and maybe others, if the bounty hunter could stir up resentment. Not a difficult task, considering Driz's heritage. Or, Driz would have to run away again, accepting the road as his home. "'What do you do?' Caterbury asked, sensing his distress. "'Do not fear for me,' Driz assured her, and gave her a hug as he spoke, one that he knew might be his way of saying goodbye. "'The day grows long. You must get back to your home.' "'He'll find you,' Caterbury replied grimly. No, Driz said calmly. Not soon, anyway. While Gwenhyver's by my side, we will keep Roddy McGristle away until I figure out my best course. Now, be off. The night comes swiftly, and I do not believe that your father would appreciate you coming here. The reminder that she would have to face Bruner again set Caterbury in motion. She bid Drizzt farewell and turned away, then rushed back up to the drow and threw a hug around him. Her step was lighter as she moved back down the mountain. She hadn't resolved anything for Drizzt, at least as far as she knew, but the drow's trouble seemed a distant second compared to her own relief that her friend was not the monster some claimed him to be. The night would be dark indeed for Drizzt to Arden. He'd thought McGristle a long, distant problem, but the menace was here now, and none save Caterbury had jumped to his defense. He would have to stand alone again if he meant to stand at all. He had no allies beyond Gwenhyver and his own scimitars, and the prospects of battling McGristle, win or lose, did not appeal to him. There is no home, Driz muttered to the frosty wind. He pulled out the Ankh's figurine and called to his panther companion. Come, my friend, he said to the cat. Let us be away before our adversary is upon us. Gwenhyver kept an alert guard while Driz packed up his possessions, while the road-weary drow emptied his home.